inspire, educate, connect. This is Yoga Digest, a vibrant community of passionate changemakers. Hi, my name is Kim Bauman, and I'm the founder of One Love Movement, a nonprofit dedicated to advancing social justice. I am so excited to bring you One Love Heroes, a podcast about ordinary people with true stories of humanity, love, and courage. Some from people you already know and others from people you'll want to know. Come along with us as we set out to discover stories that will touch your heart. Thank you so much for listening. So today I am so honored to get to be sitting here with the magical energy of spiritual seeker and musician Krishna Das, also known as KD. KD's journey began in the 60s by studying with world-known spiritual leader Ram Das and traveling to India meeting the legendary guru Maharaji Ji and living in the presence of unconditional love under Maharaji Ji for three years. Katie had already begun a career in music, but it was in India where he found his heart in chanting and spirituality. You will come to learn that KD was definitely not an overnight success. Inside of his external success of producing 16 albums, wow, that's amazing, being a Grammy-nominated artist and being a part of the surge of spiritual leaders along with Ram Das to bring these practices to the mainstream here in America, his life has included a path of depression unbearable darkness and deep suffering from drug abuse so thank well, you it was bearable. if it was unbearable i wouldn't be here <laughs> <laughs> and he's also i found katie is very funny <laughs> he's been he made me laugh from the moment he walked into the door so i'm so excited to get to be here with you thank you thank you thank you, thank you. My <laughs> this is an honor um and you know what's really funny is i went to go i was searching for your message on my phone just right before you walked in this is a side note. And um, I realized that I had sent you a message back in 2015. Uh-huh. And I had asked you to do um, an event with us. So it just uh-huh, was like really? cool okay. for me to see that. I was like, wait, where does this, why does this say 2015? But that's quite oh, some time. So I've really been, um, uh-huh. been been having you in my space for a while. And so it's like such a great honor to I get to have your time. It, though, huh? You didn't do it. Nope. <laughs> You recovered your sanity in time. <laughs> yeah, I guess. exactly. Um, but your someone from your team did write me back, so that was um, very nice to get a message back. Yeah, great. Um, well, I'd love to start by hearing about your life before your trip to India and meeting Maharaji. Mm. So, like, who were you? What were you doing? Well, I was. A, I mean, externally, I was just a normal kid, like all the other kids in the neighborhood, um, involved and interested in sports and dating and, you know, all that stuff. But in looking back, I can see that I there was always this other quality in me that was hungry, very hungry for something that I didn't couldn't even name. And it's funny. Once a month or so, I go out to dinner with a group of my old high school friends. Oh, Still, fun. We're talking 50 years ago. No you know? way. And uh, so we were at the table once, and, and uh, 
they all know about. I'm crazy. They don't really ask me too many questions. <laughs> we just love each other, which is great. But one woman asked me, you know, after like, she says, so why did you go to India anyway? And I said, well, you know, I, I always felt like there was something missing inside of me, some piece that was missing. And I, I just felt I, I had to find it. And she went, really? I never felt that. And I just went, oh, right. They didn't feel it. That's, that was the difference between me and the, most of the people I grew up with. Um. They, were, they, they didn't have that karmic ripening inside that was looking for a deeper happiness or a deeper love. They were, they were satisfied with their dissatisfaction, but they didn't understand that there was more to find. Mm-hmm. And it broke my heart hearing that, you know. And I think that's, uh, I think it's a small percentage that has this deep urgency inside to, mm-hmm. to, yeah. for some, for like a calling. It's, uh, I think it's a very small percentage. And it's, it, it's not a personal lack that people have. It's not on a personal level. It's a karmic ripening that that hasn't happened yet for whatever reason it's happening every life more stuff is worked out more more that ripening process continues but some there might be older beings and younger beings or something like that that mm-hmm. that circumstances have just created a an opening where before there, there wasn't so mm-hmm. and then how did you so then what did you do with that you had this what do you do with that information when you have that? Well, the this thing was, knowing. it wasn't information. It was just mm-hmm. this lack. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like an em- like a, an empty feeling mm-hmm. <laughs> inside where I was looking to get filled and nothing in my <clears throat> life could fill me. So it was very strange. And so, you know, I, I was part of the counterculture in those days. I liked folk music and blues and rock and roll and all that. And uh, a friend of mine brought some peyote buttons from the Southwest. This was in 1964. I'm a junior in high school. And between the junior and senior years, I, I took a, a peyote trip. And it was like all the lights went on. And I looked around and I thought, oh, this is real. The way I've been living, what I've been, my life has been completely like a shadow. This is technicolor. This is real. And there was no doubt in my mind that what I was seeing was more real than everything else I had seen up until that point. That was a very powerful experience for me. And on one hand, it made me even more depressed because I got, I felt so caught in ordinary daily reality mm-hmm. or illusion, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I felt so caught in it and with no way to get out after that. And it really increased that incredible desire to get free of, of what I felt was all wrong, you know. So anyway, one thing led to another and, you know, I, but what really, the next thing that really changed my life was when I met Ram Das. Mm-hmm. Ramdas had gone to India in 67, I think. Mm-hmm. 
after being thrown out of Harvard with Timothy Leary, he went to India, and while he was there, he met a little old man in a blanket who completely changed his life. He knew everything about him, and his heart opened, and he had a very, very deep experience, and he really, it really opened up and had... So then he came back to America after six months, and I met him shortly after he came back. How did you meet him? <clears throat> well, that's I was living upstate <laughs> New York and on a farm owned by some Jungian acid-head mountain climbers, the wildest people you'll ever met and the greatest people. And they knew about Richard Alpert from the Harvard days, the LSD days. I didn't really know much about him. So they said, oh, you know, this guy, he's up there in New Hampshire, and we're going up to see him. You want to come? I said, nah, I'm not interested in any white yogis, you know. Yogis had to come from India, you know. So, once an asshole, always an asshole. <laughs> so uh, so they go off. They're supposed to come back like the next day. And it was like two or three days. And I remember I was standing in the driveway. I just came out of the goat shed. We had two goats. This is the 60s. Um, they were named Alice Bailey and Madame Blavatsky, <laughs> our goats. And I was holding a pail of goat milk, and they drove, the car drove through the driveway, came up and around and parked, and the guy gets out of the car, and he turns and he looks at me, and there's light shooting out of his head. It was, I never saw anything like that in my life. I said, write down the directions, I'm leaving now, you know? And I ran out to my place, I got my stuff together, and I hit the road, and I drove on. Really? Yeah, It was absolutely. just that moment Boom. that made just you... just like that, yeah, just like that. No question, no, I, it was like, oh, I'm going. So you were already in tune with something then to be able to see a light, see light around someone. I suppose so. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I had been, okay. yeah, I suppose I was, you know, I was meditating. I was doing Hatha Yoga already at uh -huh. that point, 67, 68 now. And uh, I had been initiated in SRF, Self-Realization Fellowship, Yogananda's thing, already right out of high school. Okay. Uh, it didn't do too much for me at the time, you know, but I didn't really appreciate it. And I was looking for a person, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I went off, uh, long story, to make a long story short, I drove all night and I got there and uh, I walked into the room where Ramdas was sitting and without a word being spoken, without even eye contact, I just walked into the room and I went, and I immediately, I understood that whatever it was I was looking for was real and it was in the world. And you could find it. And it blew my mind. You know? I mean, that changed my life completely. Because up to that point, which is a few books, they didn't even know what a yoga studio was at that point. There was no, you know, there were a couple of people maybe teaching asana practice, but that was about it. So it was just, it was like, Yes, it's real. You can find it. Let's go for it. I'm going for it. Where is it? But I didn't know where it was, you know. Mm. So I got very involved with Ram Dass, and uh, we got very close. And after a year and a half, he would talk about his guru all the time, Ninkaroli Baba Maharaji. Okay. So I just was dying. I, I had to go see him. So I said to Ram Dass, you know, I, I'm going to go. And he said, well... You know, I can't tell you where he is. I'm not supposed to be talking about him, even though that's all I do. <laughs> but, so I can't really tell you how to find him. 
But if you, why don't you write to this friend of mine in India, who, Maharaji, one of his devotees, who was, I became very close with, write to him and see what happens. So I wrote to him, his name is K.K. Shah. And uh, it used to take about 10 days to two weeks for a letter to get up to the mountains at that point. Oh, yeah, you could just this is, we're talking, text you know, someone or email and, someone. And there's no, button, <laughs> no cell phones. No, there weren't even phones. At the time. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, a couple of weeks later, I got a letter back saying, <laughs> wonderful to hear from you and uh, blah, blah, blah. Now, Maharaji's not in the hills at this time. But when he returns, I will take your letter to him, and then I'll write back to you. Great. So maybe a month later, I get a letter back, and it says, um, Maharaji returned to the hills, and now he's staying at his temple in Kenchi. Oh, there's a name, right? <laughs> okay. and then he says, uh, but as you know, great beings like Maharaji, great saints like Maharaji, don't encourage the devotees to come to them. But their doors are always open. So if you're here in India, you can come see them. Well, fantastic. Let's go, right? Not exactly. Many years later, KK says to me, did I ever tell you whatever would really happen that day? I said, no, what? So first of all, you have to understand, KK grew up in Maharaji's lap. Maharaji was like his grandfather. Uh -huh. He had that kind of sweet, unrestrained, relationship, you know, no formality. Very, and Keke is a very spoiled brat. When you say sit down, he stands up. If you say go away, he stays. If you say stay, he goes away. That's just, he's like kind of a, you know. So, and more than that, Maharaji asked Keke to serve Ramdas to help him. So that was his seva for Maharaji was helping Ramdas. Okay, so that's why he wanted to take our letters. There were two other guys now who had written to Maharaji on our behalf to help Ramdas, not only for us, but to do what Maharaji asked him to do. Okay, so he gets the letters and he comes into the room where Maharaji is and there's a couple of other people there and Maharaji's talking to them. So KK bows and sits down and he begins, puts the letters next to Maharaji on the bed and he starts to peel an apple and cut it into small pieces to feed to Maharaji. Because he had three teeth, so he had <laughs> soft apples, he would kind of gum them, you know, like that. So he's feeding Maharaji the apple, Maharaji's eating, and he, Maharaji notices the letters. Mm -hmm. And he says, what's that? He said, they're letters from students of Ramnas. They want to come see you. Nay, tell them not to come. What do I have to do with this? And he goes back to his conversation. Now, here's the, here's the, the joy, the play. KK began to pout and he got pissed off at Maharaji because now Maharaji is interfering with the seva, the service that mm. he gave KK to do in the first place. And that was unacceptable. So he began to pout and he stopped feeding Maharaji the apple. He wasn't letting him do his job. But, yeah. yeah okay. That he gave him to yeah. do. Yeah. So he got upset, you know, and he wanted to help us and help Ramdas and Maharaji was interfering with that. So he just stopped feeding Maharaji the apple and he looks down like this. And he said, Maharaji would push his head up, said, what's the matter? He puts his head up, KK would look away, wouldn't even look at him like this. He put his head down again. Finally, Maharaji threw his hands up, okay, tell him what you want. So being a good devotee, he's not going to lie, right? So what did he write? As you know, 
great saints do not encourage the devotees to come to them, but their doors are always open. So, if you're traveling in India, you can see them. Sounds different the second time, doesn't it? Oh. It's my whole life. This is the way Maharaja did things, does things, even to this day. It's up to you. It's up what you want. It's up, to, it's up to you to do what you feel you have to do. He wouldn't tell people what to do. He never told me to sing with people. I had to find out what I needed to do to save my own ass. What I needed to do for myself. If he had told me to sing with people, it would be different. Then I'd be following orders and my heart might not be in it. But because I'm singing to save myself, to, to, to free myself and to feed my own heart, and it involves people, I really do it. Because mm -hmm. I have to. This is what I have to do. But he, he that's what he did. He, he forced you to get down to your own nitty-gritty and, and find out what you want to do, and then do it. So, but of course, he guides you. He believed you. that you knew, you knew your own answers. He, yeah. he knew the answers are in you uh -huh. because he knows everything and he knows what's going to happen, but you have to figure it out to do it. And he was like that with everybody, for the most part. I mean, of course, he would tell people this or that if, if that was the right thing, but in the big things in life, many times he would let you work it out. You would have to work it out yourself, mm. which is how you get your muscles. If I was doing it because he told me, completely different mm -hmm. and it's how you find your truth is by yes, exactly. yeah. doing with what feels right absolutely yeah that i love that i um i can i feel like that's speaking so loudly to me because every so often i'll wake up and i have such a grand vision that i but i don't know how to get to where i want to be so mm -hmm. often and i just have to remind myself every single day like <laughs> Just do what feels right today, and yeah. then soon mm -hmm. enough you're going to be there. Yeah, which is like the hard part in life is like the well, house. That, that's what a spiritual practice is supposed to do. It's so then, then this is how. So when he, how many years ago later then did he pass away after you had? He um, left the body in 1973. Right after he sent me back to America, he sent me back in March '72, and he left the body in September '73. Long time ago. Yeah. It seems like it. Far as born. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. <laughs> Wasn't going to say anything. Since <laughs> um, before I was born. Yeah. So then you <laughs> studied. Okay. So one kind of divergent question. Um, t so what made him a guru? Ah, only a guru knows. <laughs> yeah. A real guru, a real saint, a real yogi, a real bodhisattva has no personal agenda whatsoever. They've become one with the universe. They've been there, done that. They don't need anything. They don't need anything from anybody. Mm -hmm. they, their only reason for being, for manifesting at all, for being here at all, is because they have compassion for us because we're so fucked up <laughs> and we don't know our ass from our elbows so they have to be here because they don't want to see us suffering because they're not different than us mm -hmm. it's, it's concepts can't go there you can't 
You can only talk around it. A being like Maharaji, he knows who every... He looks out of your eyes, the same mm -hmm. way he looks out of his own eyes. Mm -hmm. He knows what your world looks like to you. He knows who you feel you are. Because he knows everything about him, everybody for himself, because he's, there's a word in Sanskrit, antaryami, mm -hmm. which means the indwelling presence, the indwelling consciousness, the indwelling awareness. And that's who a great saint is. They are that. That's who God is. They say God is that indwelling presence, our true nature. Mm -hmm. So a being who has reached that, that experience uh, or has removed all the covers from their eyes, they, 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 the only reason they're here is because they are not different than us and you think you're hurting. So they want to be here to help you relieve that suffering. Mm -hmm. That's what a great saint is. And they do that all different ways. There's mm -hmm. no there's no rules for being like that. They can do anything. Maharaji was what they call a siddha. Siddha. H-S-I-D-D-H-A. A siddha. Which means he does things. He doesn't ask your permission. He changes your life. Boom. Next. You know, with a look, with a touch, with a glance, with a word. It changes everything. Mm-hmm. He did that when I walked into the room with Ramdas. That was him. He touched me. That's my cow calling. I'll turn the pillow to go back to the, Your phone to the is a cow? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. <laughs> so then when Maharaji died, I can see your great uh, attachment slash yeah, connection exactly. with him. Because he really yeah, changed your life. Yeah. So then how did that contribute to your downward spiral and then did your depression come after that and Absolutely. your drug abuse or because being with him was the only time i was ever happy mm -hmm. really happy i was home mm -hmm. i was this is it and then it wasn't and i was lost and there was no place to find that it was gone in my eyes because i was attached to his body the body mm -hmm. is not the guru. It's physical. Yeah, mm -hmm. physical presence. Because mm -hmm. <clears throat> that's the kind of person I am and was very emotional, very a lot of attachment that way. So when he died, I was destroyed. And it brought, and, and it was, that was the catalyst. And for, were you in India when he passed no, away? No, I was you in, were America. in America. He'd sent okay. me back to America already. Okay. And that was the catalyst for all this these dark shadows to pop out mm -hmm. and, and, and come to life inside of me. Mm -hmm. Very, a lot of darkness in my life. My mother was an alcoholic. My father had a lot of emotional issues. Uh, there was a lot of unhappiness in my family. Um, not that it was any worse. I'm certainly, there's a lot of people much worse off than I was because outwardly it wasn't that bad, but inwardly I suffered so much. And so I had all this self-destructive stuff that just, as soon as he left the body, that was that started to manifest and really got, got worse and worse and worse. And uh, it wasn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't fun. It was mm -hmm. very bad. I created a lot of suffering for myself and for my people close to me. And uh, there was nothing I could do about it. Mm -hmm. That was the thing. 
Well, I love in your documentary, One Track Heart, when you had said, I realized if I didn't sing, I would never be able to clean out the dark places of my heart. Yeah. And so are those the dark places you're talking about, like your your mm-hmm. mother being sick? Just or? a lot of, you know, whatever it was. Yeah, there were a lot of particulars, but it was a more general statement. You know, I just, I understood that all my unhappiness was coming from my own heart my own stuff mm-hmm. it was nothing out there it was all my stuff that was causing all this this suffering and that the only way that i had to do anything about this was to chant with people that it, it was an epiphany i had in my room in new york um you know really we don't know what who anybody is or what's out there. We're projecting our own version of things 24-7, 365. There's no... Mm. We don't see reality. We see our own... Our karmic projector is projecting onto the screen of the so-called world. And all of these human beings, we share a, a wavelength, kind of. We're all projecting like kind of on the same screen so we mm-hmm. can talk to each other. But, but uh, you know, I don't know who you are. I see your hair, I see your skin, I see the way, you know, there's a lot of concepts in me about you. Maybe none of them are true. Mm-hmm. How would I know? I'm seeing my version of you, right? And you of me. So my version of life was pretty dark and pretty unhappy because that's what was being projected from from my own stuff. Ah. And I saw that the only way I could clean that those that stuff out of my heart was to chant with people which I was talking before, and that's why I started. And even then, it wasn't so easy. In fact, I quit. I quit after about nine months, and I I just said, that's it, I can't do this. I'm not, my heart is not pure enough, I can't do this the way it should be done. I'm doing this to reestablish and deepen my connection with Maharaji that I feel I lost. He Uh never left me, but I feel I lost my, my side of it. And yet, I could see that uh, it, I wasn't doing. I wasn't able to do it in a way that would allow that to happen. I was too hungry, you know. And hungry people will eat. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's no other option. You're going to eat. You're hungry. You're going to eat. And I saw all the energy that was coming to me, even in the first nine months. People coming, you know, thinking I'm really something special and saying, "Hey, how you doing?" And the women coming and saying hello. And you know, and I was a hungry guy. And I was only too happy to to gobble everything up. But the problem was, that's not why I was doing this. I was doing this out of the desperation to reconnect with that love that I had lost. And so I quit Mm -hmm. singing and I went to India. And I said to him, of course, he'd been dead like how many years? 11 years. I said, you have to fix this. This is your problem. I'm singing to people in your name. If you don't fix it, I'm not singing. That's the story. Good night. Every day. And I, I was... So you were angry at him. I was angry and I was angry at myself mm-hmm. and I was... But it was more despair. Mm-hmm. It was a terrible feeling. Did you ever get to express to him how much he uh, changed your life? Or was that not how the relationship was? It's not like you sat around and talked about your feelings, right? <laughs> No, no, no. He knew everything. What's the Uh sense of time? He he knew everything, and he showed you all the time he knew everything. 
There was no question of, it was completely, it wasn't even, you know, you just wanted to be in that love. There was nothing else going on. And mm-hmm. he showed you all the time. He knew everything about you. So there was no question of saying thank you because he'd done it himself. You know, it's like you could do that because it was good form. You know, thank you, Bob, mm-hmm. you saved me. But he would laugh, you know. I mean, it's no. So you felt seen and you felt gotten by him totally. more than anyone absolutely. else in life. More than, absolutely, yeah. Like I said, it was the only time I had ever felt that kind of love, Mm -hmm. you know, where it was free, Mm -hmm. there was no manipulation, he didn't need me to be a good little boy, he didn't need me to show him anything, he just needed me to be me, and he didn't even need that, because he knew everything. He didn't even need me there, but by his grace, he allowed me to stay for a while, because I needed that. I wouldn't have made it without him. People say, oh, I wish I could meet my guru. I said, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You meet your guru, your whole life changes, and you can't keep your secrets, and you get a lot of things you have to let go of. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy your life the way it is and get on with your work. But, you know, and, and, and a guru also is not a physical person, so you can meet your guru anytime, anywhere, yeah. if the longing is strong enough. But um, So do you think that he taught you how to love? He showed me what real love is. Mm-hmm. What, but in real love is the absence of, of... The real love is the presence of reality. Real love is what this is all about. All of it. And you look around and you see people, including ourselves, living very narrow low energy limited lives yeah and and you just you realize but i have been in the presence of that love so i know it's real and i know it exists but i still don't live in it you know but i know it's there and i know that he's leading me into that and the chanting that i do that's the deep that's the practice i do the main practice that keeps taking me deeper and deeper into that place where that love lives and that place is in everybody mm-hmm. everybody's exactly the same the same being the same being is looking out of all of our eyes right now reality is looking out of my eyes at, and re- seeing the reality of your eyes right it's not what we see it's the seeing itself it's the consciousness <clears throat> sat chit ananda it's just truth Reality and bliss, truth, consciousness, and joy, happiness. Mm-hmm. That's who we are. That's what's looking out of our eyes. But we don't know that. We don't see what's looking out. We only see what that sees stuff. Yeah, and we have all of our own filters and reasons and Absolutely. to change what we see. Yeah. So being in the presence of that love like that showed me what was possible, showed me... It also allowed me to feel something about myself, too, because you were included in that love, you know. Mm-hmm. He included us all. And like Larry Brilliant wrote, in one, he said, when I was with Maharaji, it wasn't just that he loved me and I loved him. It was that when I was with him, I loved everybody. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, whoa. So do you think that your chanting and how you've, 
your music, do you think that that is your expression of creating that same type of love for other people, like how Miraji created for you? I wouldn't say it that way, but, but the answer is yes, but I wouldn't say it that way. Would I, I feel that when I chant, I chant in order to enter more deeply into that love myself. But the chanting includes other people. So they mm-hmm. also have the opportunity to enter more deeply into that love themselves. I'm not doing anything to them or for them. And in fact, the way I see it, and I can't prove it to you, is just this is just Maharaji transmitting yeah. to mm-hmm. all of us, me included, that mm-hmm. presence and that love that he is. Mm-hmm. So everybody gets a taste. And... Uh, Well, I love like when you said, when you talked about fame and power and ego, this one really spoke to me because I feel like it's so easy to get caught up into, um, into power. And, uh, so like once you had started sharing your music with the world, you said, finally, I was doing the one thing I could bring me back into the love I felt I'd lost. And I was being prevented from doing it by my own stuff, by the fame, by the ego, and the power that comes from fame. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's where, such that, a powerful statement. That's why I quit when mm-hmm. I was talking before, because I could see... After the nine months when you quit? Yeah, okay. that's what I was... Because I could see that's what was coming. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I, there was no way I could not be gobbled up by it. So yeah, yeah. And, and it was not why I wanted to sing. I wanted to sing to get back into the real thing. But I couldn't avoid that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said he had to do it. That's why I said to him, you have to fix this. Because <laughs> well, I can't. I, I mean, I'm I sure couldn't. it was very flattering for you when you had people standing outside waiting to get tickets to your show that was sold out. Yeah. And you've got a line around the blocks waiting to get into your show. I'm sure that's very flattering. So how do you not it's get not caught flattering. up in that? It's not, I did the same thing, except I flew to India. I left everything to find that love. These people are just coming down the street. What's flattering about that? <laughs> but they were waiting for you. <laughs> They're not waiting for me. They're waiting for themselves. They're waiting for their own experience of that love, Yeah. which happens when we sing together. It's not me. And, I, and that's what he saved me. That's that's what he did finally after three mm-hmm. months of torture in India. You know, and every every day I wake up saying, you haven't done anything. I told you I'm not singing until you fix this. Finally, he did fix it. And the way he fixed it revealed to me the truth that it's not about me at all. Even if and when I think it is. It isn't. Mm-hmm. That's what saved me. Even when I'm stupid, it doesn't matter. It's about the real thing. So in performing live at the Grammys and your album Live Ananda being gr- nominated for a Grammy, I wanted to ask you, does that make you feel at some, did that make you ever feel at some point like you had finally made it? Or what was be- that because like? Because I'm a Grammy loser? <laughs> <laughs> What's what's the big deal? I I lost something else. Big fucking deal. (laughs) Oh, my God. I never thought of it that way. That's hilarious. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. There's nothing to make. This is my spiritual work. Mm. It's nice that other people um, recognize it. But there's billions of people that don't. So what's the big deal? 
I just mm-hmm. keep singing because that's what I have to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not singing for fame, for money, for anything. Those things happen. But like I told you, he saved me from that. He really saved me. You understand? Mm-hmm. I'm not. That's not just words. Mm-hmm. He showed me. He saved me. It's not about that, and it really isn't. And I, I and even that, I can't take credit for it because I told you he did that. Mm-hmm. I was helpless. I was not able to do what I had to do to save myself. I mm-hmm. couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, Bala, this is your deal. I'm singing to you. I'm trying to get back to that love. You have to fix this or I can't do it. And he tortured me for three months. And nothing happened. And then finally, really, he, he, he did it. And How did he speak for, to you for a little plug? For a little plug? It's all in my book, Chance of a Lifetime. <laughs> so... It's too long a story to tell here, but it's a, it's in the book. Yeah. And he did it, just to put it very simply, he just took the coverings off of my eyes, and I saw things pretty much as they are, as uh-huh. they are. Not as, they, not as I think they are, right. but I saw things as they are, and I saw this myself in a different way Mm -hmm. so where did your helplessness and your depression come from because that was way before you had met him did something happen what was or did you just you just were never satisfied inside well you know you don't recognize you're helpless until you try to do something and most people never try so they never understand how helpless they are now that doesn't mean you can't do anything because your personal will is the most important thing you have. Without your will, you got nothing. I'm picking up my hand. I'm taking the piece of fruit. I'm putting it in my mouth. That's all your will. Uh huh. Based on run, you want the fruit. You have to take it. I'm gonna. So, you know, once I was in the jungle with this Baba, who at the time was 163 years old, and he's still alive. No joke. And he looked at me and he said, hmm, you have to develop willpower. And I remember I thought, willpower? What do I need that for? And he could read my thoughts. And he went like, oh. And he did something and he showed me inside me what he was seeing, which was that I was doing nothing. Nothing to help myself get what I wanted out of life. Myself. Not what somebody else wanted, but my own self. I wasn't even going after the things I wanted because I was crippling myself with this or that or this or that or whatever. You know, fear of failure, fear of being judged, who knows, whatever. So many things. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't even going after what I wanted in life. He Mm -hmm. showed, and I went, oh. And that was a really big moment for me because I saw, wow, there's not like spiritual life and worldly life. There's just my life. And if I'm not living at 100% or even 100% of the usual 3%, <laughs> you know, then what am I doing, right? How, what, how am I going to ever be happy or get the things I want? And it was just a jolt to my awareness. It was very powerful. Very powerful. Mm-hmm. One time, so here's another funny mm-hmm. story. So I'm sitting in the jungle with this guy. Mm-hmm. And he kind of looks at me. And he goes, ah. Hmm, you're going to be famous. This is back in the 80s. I was doing nothing, right? Yeah, you're going to be famous. So I look up at him and I go, and rich. 
And he laughed. <laughs> and he looks at me eye to eye, nose to nose. He goes, famous. Uh, so there's not even a little bit of you that's like, oh, that gets wrapped up in any type of fame or. I'm just like, sure, I get wrapped up in all kinds of shit, uh-huh. you know, but I don't take it that seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm, if I said, no, I never get wrapped up. What kind of bullshit would that be? <laughs> yeah. Right? No, sure. Everything, things come up. Oh, you know, it's like all kinds of things happen. They're kind of like, oh, really? You mean, what's his name? Really likes me? Some big actor just sent me a message. They say he comes to the Kirtans all the time. So, really? But, you know, yeah, so what? So I enjoy it. But I don't cling to it. It doesn't yeah. give me, it's not my reason to be. Or define you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, things happen all the time that make you feel good or bad about yourself. You just mm-hmm. have to let them go and be just do be who you are. Yeah, yeah. You can't change what comes to you. You can only be yourself with everything that, that happens. You can only mm-hmm. let it be and, and let it come and let it go. So then do you have expectations for your success? Success? Or... What do you mean? I just want to keep singing. Yeah. The fact that I'm actually singing with people... Uh-huh. And feeding my heart and getting closer to my heart every day, that's success. And I just want to keep singing and I just want to keep singing and uh, as long as I can. That's all. That would be success for sure. Mm. What else would be success? Money. I have enough money. I, I, I can eat. I have a nice car to drive. I'm okay. I can get to, <laughs> I can get to, the, to around to sing with people. It's good. I mean, this is working. I'm happy. With that, as far uh-huh. as it goes, I'm still the same schmuck I always was. But <laughs> what are you going to do? You know. Do you ever have moments where you fall back into depression? Sure. No. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So yeah. when you say depression, are you talking clinically? Or are you talking like for me? Like I'll get depressed sometimes, but yeah. I'm not clinically depressed. Like which one are you talking about for yourself? Well, it's a good question. I've had two. Two major breakdowns in my life. Full mm-hmm. on, where hallucin- I was hallucinating. I mean, I really was gone twice. So there's some real black hole in there. With no drugs involved. No like, drugs. this no, is just no. complete yeah, like, no devastation no inside. Mm-hmm. No, really, there was an emotional, emotional situation that just, just broke me in half. And I am. I really went down and I was going to a black hole and I had no vote. So whether it's clinical or what degree it's clinical or not, I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but you know what it's like to be at oh the yeah, bottom. I know mm-hmm. what it's like not to have a vote. Mm-hmm. You know? I know, and not to to be helpless with your emotional issues. Mm-hmm. And it's, so how do you, how would you say, what were ways that you would uh, turn that around for yourself? Well. Because we all know what it's like to This be, is what spiritual practice is for. Mm-hmm. It's not for, you know, this is what it's for. It's to, to, to ripen our hearts and to, to strengthen our 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 
our love and our to make us better people and make, mm-hmm. make us help us be a better human beings in this world. That's what spiritual practice is for. Give us mm-hmm. gives us the strength to do that, mm-hmm. and that means to be thinking about ourselves less. You know. When I was going to kill Ooh, myself. Think when, about yourself less. That's good. Yeah. When I was going to kill myself in India, Maharaji just laughed and he said, ha, what are you going to do? Jump in the river? Ha, ha, You can't die. Worldly people don't die. He said, only Jesus died the real death. I'm thinking, what the fuck is he talking about? Jesus? We're in a little Hanuman temple in the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. Only Jesus. Why did he? Why? Because he never thought of himself. The idea of me no longer arose in mm-hmm. that being. It was a completely enlightened being. There's no me, mm-hmm. no agenda, no personal agenda anymore. It's only about love and compassion and kindness and helping people become free of suffering. That's, a, that's what a saint is. So, the more, the, but that's not us. All we do is think about ourselves all day long. The mm-hmm. movie of me all day. Where yeah. am I going? What am I doing? How do I look? How will it be if I do this or do that? Boy, <laughs> the movie like of me. All day long. <laughs> That's hilarious. And I then, love that. And then, you know, <laughs> then, we, then we write reviews. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Which we read and get more depressed, you know? Yep. So how do you, you can't just stop the movie. That practice wears that away. It thins it out over time. Mm-hmm. Spiritual practice thins out that movie of me mm, until I love that. it just not there anymore spiritual and, practice thins out the movie of me that's so good yeah. are can you share the thing that you had no vote on that uh, took you down let's it, rewinding it, i'm rewinding oh, a little I mean, bit the details yeah. well, can you share like in it, a nutshell it, it like revolved what? around a, a relationship i had with a woman who uh bef- long before i went to mm-hmm. india we broke up and in that breakup i had this meltdown Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very intense, you know, like I say, really, very uh, deep. And I really lost it. I just, mm-hmm. you know, a friend of mine helped me through that. Then I'm in India like two and a half, three years later. Mm-hmm. And she killed herself while I was in India. And then she came to see me at night. Oh, my God. Yeah. Holy and so, wow. um, so uh, it's a long story. Uh, and if you are interested in it, please, I'll send you my book. You don't have to buy it. But all these stories are in great detail in my book, and it's too long to go into the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, yeah, wow. But suffice it to say, she killed mm-hmm. herself. She was in a mental hospital, and mm-hmm. she escaped, threw herself in front of a train. And then that night, she came to see me in India at night. I was in it. Oh, and, my god! And she was like, wild why didn't you help me and she had bangs and she was like and we were walking down the street and I was talking her down you know like like she was on some kind of crazy acid trip and she was just she her face was softening and you know she was kind of getting here a little bit more and then the dream was over and I woke up you know like this and wow. Then, then I went running oh to the gosh. temple and I told Maharaji about it. Mm-hmm. And, but then, but it shook me so badly that over the next couple of weeks, I, I just started to kind of disintegrate. And then finally, I just, yeah. wow. I, I just went down into this black hole and he, he saved me. You know, he saved me. 
Holy shit. Yeah, big time. (laughs) That would shake anybody. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Katie. That's, wow. Thanks for for sharing that. That's okay. (laughs) Um, So, I guess on that note, I wanted to end by asking you... um, Something I heard uh, one time from someone is that your legacy is not one thing, but all the people you touch. Mm. And so what, what is your story? What do your proud moments, your suffering, what does that all say about, what do you think that says about your legacy with how you're touching people? I don't feel like I'm touching people. Okay. I'm singing to save my life. Other people get a chance to do that with me, and so they can mm-hmm. save their lives. I'm not doing it to them or for them, although I understand they are involved. And <laughs> they are getting something, and I'm also yeah. getting something. And I understand that it is me sitting there and looking like I'm singing. I agree. But this is just the way Maharaji does things. He's mm-hmm. pulling all the strings from off stage. So I, I feel like my life has been good if he feels that I've served him. Mm. Very cool. Very cool. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much um, for meeting with me. It's been such an honor and so fun to hang out with you. You are hilarious. You need to be. Otherwise, you just stay you just home and walk around, off. you know? <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask you, um, what's the best way for people to look you up? Where would you like to send people to find you? Uh, Krishnadas.com. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Nobody else wanted it. (laughs) (laughs) No one else wanted it. What's your Instagram handle? I don't even know. Okay. My daughter does all that. Oh, Krishnadas.com, the website, it has all kinds of shit on it. Cool. I love that that you don't know. (laughs) That is so funny. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot.